What's going on, everybody? And welcome in to this edition of B-Shave Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you in the evening hours of Thursday, July 13th, 2023, as it's just one more day until Cardinals baseball returns to us, until Major League Baseball in general returns to us after the All-Star break. It always kind of feels like the All-Star break is one day too long. I get for the players why it is the way that it is. Middle of the season, they could definitely use the time off to rest and recuperate. But once you have the home run derby Monday in the actual All-Star game Tuesday, it's like, okay, one more day, and then it feels like as a fan, we should be back to baseball. But no baseball Thursday. We get everybody back on Friday. The Cardinals will be hosting the Washington Nationals at Bush Stadium, and so we'll have coverage of that series right here on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at bshafer12. The YouTube channel is called Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. I do my writing for KMOV, and we'll be down at the ballpark on Friday night cooking up some storylines for over at KMOV.com, and then I'll be back home recording B-Shafe Daily to be distributed by Saturday morning. If you happen to be awake overnight, you'll probably get it by like 2 a.m. But we post it to YouTube, to Spotify, and to Apple Podcasts, so subscribe and follow everywhere it's convenient for you to get the B-Shafe Daily Cardinals podcast and if you want to take your support of the channel to the next level, patreon.com slash bshafer12 is one way that you can do that. Tonight, I want to talk about something specific because with no games going on to break down, it gives us a little bit more leeway to get into some of the silly topics that we might happen to see floating around social media. And for me, that is the edit that I saw today of Nolan Arenado in a New York Yankees uniform because that is something that, folks, is simply not going to happen within the next few weeks. It's just not. It isn't taking place, and so I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit, and then we'll see how long I yammer on about that topic before maybe we'll do some who is untouchable among the Cardinal players going into this trade deadline because a lot of guys could move, a lot of guys that we don't really expect to move. There's a scenario in which we could describe, okay, if this happened, if this guy became available, maybe the Cardinals would be open to moving this player or that. But generally, I want to give you my thoughts a little bit more on who I really just don't expect to see moved under any circumstances. If we have time tonight, which I think we will, this Arenado stuff shouldn't take the whole podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that. That's going to be something that we'll be dissecting for the next few weeks, though, when it comes to the trade rumors that are inevitable. But what's happening right now when it comes to this Arenado thing, and you probably saw it, I don't even remember the account that posted it at this point because I... uh I didn't make a point to look very closely, but there was one with Arnado in a Yankees uniform, and the hat looked really goofy. The Photoshop wasn't a great job. The uh, they, they didn't bother to Photoshop out his beard. I'm seeing this one now. Uh, the fellow's name is Rod on Twitter. Very clear that he's got a Yankees-based account, which is great. That's fun. But he throws together. I don't even know if he's the one who made it, but our guy Rod here throws on the Arenado in the Yankees Uniform, the hat, crudely photoshopped. Still has the beard, by the way. We know that Yankees cannot have facial hair other than a mustache, so that wouldn't be possible in the first place. Just saying, if we're going for accuracy of a Cardinals trading Arenado to the Yankees, you'd have to at least have him shave the beard. But nevertheless, he says, do we want to see Yankees make a trade for eight-time All-Star, 10-time Gold Glover, Nolan Arenado? Has the picture in the Yankees garb. What's crazy about this is, like I said, you don't really know without digging into the comments and, like, the guy's account, if this is pure engagement farming, if this is somebody really believing that Nolan Arenado is on the move, or if he's just trying to troll a little bit by doing something like that. It's all fun. It's all fun and games on social media, so I don't have any issue with it. 
but it can be difficult, I think, for the average person to be bombarded with a lot of this stuff on their timeline day after day, hour after hour. You might start to think, oh, I mean, I'm seeing it in enough places. Does that really mean that Arenado could be on the trade block? The Cardinals could be moving him? There are aggregator accounts that are throwing on these, where will Nolan Arenado finish the season? This was from Game Day MLB, which is just a, a Twitter account talking baseball stuff. And it's got a picture of Nolan Arenado wearing the Victory Blues. And then it lists the Yankees logo, the Phillies logo, the Marlins, and the Cardinals logo. Where will he end the season? Well, he'll end the season in St. Louis. I've seen funny things, though, from Yankees fans, Phillies fans, different people trying to talk themselves into trades that could potentially happen because they feel like through some, I don't know, some bad listener comprehension or or maybe just some lack of awareness of the situation, they feel like Nolan Arenado is being traded as a result of John Mozeliak a couple of days ago going on Fox 2 with Martin Kilcoin and saying that they'll be selling at the deadline and it's just unsure if it's going to be household names that get moved or if it's just going to be guys that they don't anticipate would be on the team next year. And we talked on the podcast yesterday. Go back one on your Spotify podcast feed on B-Shape Daily if uh, that's the way you listen. I think it's episode 421 that we ran last night. And the YouTube video as well was titled Reacting to John Mozeliak's Comments. That's been one of our more popular videos in all honesty. So if you check that out, hopefully you get something out of it. Make sure you subscribe to the Brendan Schaefer YouTube channel, though. Help me out a little bit if you like the content. Lots of Cardinal stuff coming this uh, direction the rest of the way on the YouTube channel. But I just think it's hilarious that people can hear that interview and take that one little quote and blow it up on social media and use it to think, well, does that mean we could get Nolan Arenado? First of all, Nolan Arenado has a no trade clause. And also, Nolan Arenado wants to still be in St. Louis. If you saw the John Heyman thing from the other day, maybe that's contributing because you think, oh, well, John Heyman is a well-known name. I've seen him reporting baseball news before. He's talking about the possibility of the Cardinals rebuild or the Cardinals selling at the deadline and having that include Nolan Arenado as part of it. Maybe that does mean it's got some legs. Well, it doesn't. I don't know why he wrote it that way. I do know that I watched the video of Derek Gould from that same interview it was very interesting to watch this. He posted it to Twitter, Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He posted the video to STL Today, where the, the STL Today crew did, and it was basically Nolan Arenado answering a few questions, but right at the beginning of the video that was posted, I guess it was Derek doing the uh, recording on the, the phone, whatever it was, right then it's like you could tell that John Heyman was walking away at the beginning of when Derek began kind of recording some of the question and answer portion of Nolan Arenado at the All-Star game. And toward the end of it, Derek asks the question and makes reference to, I guess, some of the quotes that John Heyman had grabbed before he dipped out early from the interview session, where Derek almost sort of gave Nolan Arenado the chance to clarify or expand upon some of those previous comments. But it basically led to Arenado saying, I want to be in St. Louis. Yeah, this year hasn't gone the way we wanted it to, but I that's where I want to be. I don't have any interest in being moved. So he's the guy that can control these things because even if the Cardinals wanted to trade him, he could say no or he could at least kind of filter the destinations. It's a, it's a situation where the no trade doesn't completely keep a guy from being moved because in reality, if the Cardinals are saying, hey, we're going a different direction than the one you thought we were going in, it would be doing a service to Arenado to say, hey, pick some places that you'd want to go and we can send you to one of those spots if we, if we can come up with something. And then he can waive the no trade clause to certain teams. But the Cardinals aren't in a spot where they're talking like this is going to be a teardown. People don't use their comprehension skills. They see, oh, the Cardinals are going to be selling at the deadline. What do they have? Let's get some of their veterans. In. No, it's more nuanced than that. It's more nuanced than that. 
the type of selling that the Cardinals are very likely to do is to trade the short-term expiring contract guys. Jordan Montgomery, Jack Flaherty, Jordan Hicks, Chris Stratton, all applicable scenarios. Like, I could see any and all of those guys moving, and to me it would make sense as long as you're getting the right return and getting fair value for those players. But the reality is, even if you don't get much, getting something is better than getting nothing because they will leave in free agency. And other people are saying, well, why would the Cardinals not just re-sign some of these players? Because when you look at Flaherty, Montgomery, and Hicks, those are three of their better performing pitchers this season. And we know that pitching is the main problem for the Cardinals this year. So why are you going to volunteer to make it worse by just presuming that these guys are going to walk? Well, I'm just reading the tea leaves. I've talked about this before, but I feel like it's worth bringing up again because I do get a number of Cardinals fans confused about that aspect. And they're not. it's not wrong of them to be confused because it is sort of a mind-bending description just on its head where you say, hey, the Cardinals stink at pitching and they do have a few guys that are good at pitching, so it's time to trade them away. Well, why would you do that? It's because of the contract situation. It's really all it boils down to. Cardinals fans, and this is true of any fan base across MLB, they'll look at the players on their favorite team and they'll have the guys they like and the guys that they don't and the guys that they want to see get traded or or get DFA'd or whatever the case might be. And that's totally understandable. But the, the way these actually happen functionally these sorts of trades, it all pertains to the contract situation. And so you might say, I'm tired of seeing Paul DeYoung because for whatever reason, you haven't gotten on board with the fact that he plays solid enough shortstop defense, he gets you your home runs, and he's not a blight on society the way that Cardinals fans sometimes treat him. I get it that he sort of was in past seasons, but he's turned it around and he's been okay this year. I'm not giving him an A grade for the season or anything, but I'm saying he's been okay. He's been fine. And that still may not be enough for you, so you'd like to see the Cardinals trade him. But understand, functionally, the way these trades happen. The Cardinals were to trade Paul DeYoung. They would probably have to pay some of the money owed to him the rest of the season. And it would be the $2 million buyout on next year's contract as well if they don't want to pick up the $12.5 million option. Like, the Cardinals or whatever team would be acquiring Paul DeYoung could be responsible for that. And so money would have to change hands. Those terms would have to be agreed upon between the two sides. It's always going to be more than just what does this guy bring to the lineup that he would be joining? There's There are business elements to it. And when it comes to the pitchers that we're talking about, Montgomery, Flaherty, and Hicks, that's exactly what the situation is. The business elements to me would dictate that it makes sense to move them. Jordan Montgomery, would it be great to have him back next year for the Cardinals? Yeah, I mean, from a statistical standpoint, he's been really their only reliable pitcher. 3.23 ERA, that's really good. You could send him to any contender, and he's probably going to be their second best, maybe their third best at worst starting pitching option based on the way that he's performed so far this season. Like the Dodgers would instantly have him be toward the top of the rotation. I can't even keep up with who's healthy and who's injured in that Dodgers rotation because a lot of guys tend to go down, but I think Jordan Montgomery would be one of their better options. Even Jack Flaherty would be a solid probably number three for them with the way their rotation is going through injuries and, and things of that nature right now. So statistically, you like what Jordan Montgomery is doing, but let's recognize the business elements to this. His agent is Scott Boris. Historically, what does that mean? That meant he's going to get his client a big multi-year contract. It's going to be difficult to try and come to terms on it. There's going to be weird clauses in it that he's going to want to include. He, he's just very Scott Boris about everything, right? Like you follow baseball long enough, you kind of know what Scott Boris is about and what that entails. It also means that he's going to test free agency. Like, I know Jordan Montgomery had the quotes earlier at the beginning of the season, like, well, the Cardinals didn't really come to us to try and work out anything in terms of an extension. There wasn't much momentum on that, and so we're just going to table that and, and 
let the season play out, which means we're going to free agency, which is totally fine. But I also just don't think the Cardinals really ever had a shot to convince Jordan Montgomery after, you know, a few months of being with St. Louis that he was going to forego free agency. His agent, Scott Boris, would be like, no, I think it's better if you do it this way. That's just my opinion on the nature of the way that was going to go down. Therefore, when the Cardinals don't trade Montgomery, let's say, and they offer him the qualifying offer, I don't think there's a chance in the world that Jordan Montgomery takes the qualifying offer. I've been wrong about things before, but this is just my opinion. I just don't see that happening. I think they're going to go into free agency and look for the lucrative four, five, six-year contract, whatever they can come up with. Now, could the Cardinals sign Jordan Montgomery to that? They could. Like I said, on its face, there's no reason to think the Cardinals wouldn't want him back from a statistical standpoint. And in terms of his fit with the clubhouse and everything like that, I don't have anything negative to say. I just get the sense that free agency is in the offing for this player. Given the qualifying offer, he declines it. The Cardinals at least recoup a compensatory draft pick for the 2024 draft when Montgomery goes. It's basically what the Cubs did to the Cardinals this year for St. Louis signing Wilson Contreras. The Cubs got the Cardinals' second-round pick as compensation. The Cardinals would probably get, I don't even know exactly how they determine it. I think it's a second-rounder is what it would be. It's based on the amount of the salary in the new contract, if I'm not mistaken, on, on which compensatory pick you get, if it's like a second or a third or what it is. I don't think they can do first-rounders anymore. I could be wrong about that too, though. But nevertheless, there would be an award for that, right? You'd get something back for Jordan Montgomery. Should they just sign him? Sure, but there's going to be competition, and you can't guarantee that you're going to be able to, A, outbid the competition. I guess you could if you're the ownership to say, hey, we'll beat any offer. But then there's also the fact of if there's two compelling offers from two different teams and cities, where does Jordan Montgomery and his family want to be? Maybe he wants to be in St. Louis, doesn't want to have to move again. But I don't presume to know the answer to what they're looking at when it comes to what the preference would be for Jordan Montgomery if the Cardinals were to offer a comparable salary and years of control and, and total outlay as another team. I We don't know what it would look like, and so it's the safer bet to say we know right now what the Cardinals could do with Montgomery, and that's to trade him for whatever it ends up being top 100 prospect perhaps because there aren't going to be a lot of rental pitching opportunities in this market necessarily. Like the White Sox should probably trade Lucas Giolito. I don't know if you'd rather have Giolito or Montgomery the way both are performing. Montgomery's got the lower ERA this season, but I'm just looking at it and say, we don't really know how many names are going to go flying in the starting pitching market. The Cardinals may be holding two of the better options when it comes to starting pitchers that could be available for trade. So the Cardinals could end up having some leverage in this regard and get a nice player for 2024 or beyond. No, I don't know if they'd go for an 18-year-old prospect instead. I don't know if they'd go for a guy that's got to be major league ready. I don't know what John Moselak and his staff are going to be looking to do, but I just know there's a way to do this and, and restock the farm system or restock the group of players that you can rely upon to be part of your depth for 2024. And I would have to think they're looking for pitching because they already have too many position players that they've got to figure out what to do with that whole deal as well. And with Flaherty, the qualifying offer situation might be more murky. I don't know if he'd accept it or not, just based on less confidence about his numbers this season and how he'll finish up and what kind of contract offer he could get. A little more health concern in the history of Jack Flaherty, I think, than Jordan Montgomery. You have that whole shoulder thing that he's been pitching through, and it was never a problem until it was, and that problem was actually not even the problem that it was. You remember last year at spring training or two years ago, whatever it was. 
Jack Flaherty had that whole situation going on. I think that was 2022. And so I don't know if that's going to affect his free agency. I don't know if he would take the 20 million or so QO that would be extended or if the Cardinals would want to have him at that price and if they would risk even offering it to him. That's murkier to me, but I think you make it real simple by trading him and getting some value for him if there's a team that likes the way he's trending because he is trending up based on the way he's pitched recently. And again, yes, you could sign him in the offseason if you wanted to, but again, free agency. You're not going to have exclusivity on being able to, to sign him. You've got other teams that will be interested, and do you even want to go back down that road with Jack Flaherty after all the ups and downs that there have been. And then with Jordan Hicks, I just don't think it makes sense to pay relievers what a guy like Hicks is going to be valued at in free agency if he finishes the season with two more really good months or two and a half good months the way that he has the last month or so because he's lowered that ERA now below four if he keeps pitching like this, and he's doing a great job. But relievers are so fickle. And do I expect a three- or four-year contract for any reliever to pan out over the long haul? Usually not. Look at the history for the Cardinals. Brett Cecil, nope. Andrew Miller wasn't great. Greg Holland was only one year, but even that was a bust that that ended at the trade deadline. Like these big time contracts for relievers traditionally, historically just don't pan out, at least not for the Cardinals. So after the volatility that we've seen from Jordan Hicks over the years, are you suddenly going to look at four really good months and say, yeah, we'll give you a three year, $40 million contract as a result of that or whatever it ends up being. I am on the side of no for that and believing that teams are willing to trade young talent that they don't really need yet if they are in a position to win a World Series or they're in a position to try and add to a roster that they think can do so and bullpen help everybody always needs good reliable pitching so if the Cardinals can tell other teams that Jordan Hicks is exactly that I think that's another way that they can add so I look at those three pieces and say yeah those guys are guys that when the Cardinals say they're selling those are guys that should be moving and I articulate for each of them why it's not necessarily the case that I'm dying to re-sign or thinking that it's going to be possible to just hold on to them and re-sign them. The Cardinals are 11 and a half games out. It is what it is. They can try and make a run at it in the NL Central, but it's probably not going to be enough even if they do go on a run. So you can't hold on to these short-term assets in the off chance that you happen to make a run and then put your future at a detriment because you could have done more to restock the cupboard and then you decided not to because you were too close to a, a fantasy land of winning the division. So when the Cardinals talk about selling, when John Mozeliak says we're going to sell, we're going to look to 2024 for all the moves that we make, I listen to him. And part of that is 2024, if you're going to be good, probably shouldn't trade Nolan Arenado. Like, he's one of your best players. He and Paul Goldschmidt are your two best position players. There may come a time where Jordan Walker is in that conversation, but defensively, I think he loses too much value at this point with the struggles in the outfield to be considered among the more valuable position players. I think he's probably fourth on the list, even with the defensive struggles. For me, Brendan Donovan is third, which is why it was a little surprising to me to hear Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch today on the podcast Foul Territory. It popped into my timeline. Derek jumped on with those guys talking about the Cardinals coming up to the trade deadline, which also, Derek, something that was brought up in this interview, which I thought was interesting, was the whole Wilson Contreras, Michael K rumor, report, whatever you want to go with, basically which said that Wilson Contreras was calling for pitches that the Cardinals pitchers didn't throw. And Derek was asked about that, and he does great reporting. And so I think this is definitely something worth paying attention to, where he said some different stories might be getting conflated here. There was one time, like an isolated incident, where it happened that he pressed a button on the pitch comm that 
the pitch that was being called for, the guy didn't throw or the, the button didn't actually do anything, but maybe that that was more of an isolated incident. And the other stuff that was already kind of known and reported on was that Contreras was calling for more locations of pitches that the Cardinals pitchers weren't very comfortable throwing. Contreras had wanted Cardinals pitching to pitch meaner, Derek was talking about. And this is something that we knew about earlier in the season, the idea that Contreras wanted to make hitters uncomfortable with the the pitches that were being called and to try and get Cardinals pitching to work inside a little bit more. And old school baseball folks would appreciate that because we always talk a lot about, ah, pitchers are afraid to throw inside anymore. It's just not something you see as much. But you have to still, as a pitcher, try and own the inside part of that plate and not allow hitters to feel too, too comfortable to be able to get the bat head out over the plate and cover the whole plate. You got to make them, you know, respect that you could throw inside on them and not that you're trying to hit anybody, but anybody who knows baseball knows that the inside part of the plate is a very important area for pitchers to be able to command and control. And so that was maybe to Derek's point, two stories kind of getting conflated, which again, foul uh, foul territory is the podcast that Derek was on today, which was some really good stuff. But I didn't really intend to spend a lot of time on that. I just wanted to plug it in case that was something that Cardinals fans were interested in, uh, that art, that uh, interview with DG. But what he did mention when it comes to the trade deadline, which is what we're kind of focusing on today, that he'd be very surprised if the Cardinals would move Lars Newtbar, which is something that I agree with. They still are very high on him. I, I did wonder if maybe their confidence had waned a little bit in terms of, hey, we know he's solid and has a great skill set that we appreciate, but is it a situation where considering where the rest of the league might view him, is there room to potentially capitalize on like the international fame and the name recognition of Lars Nupar right now? Or do the Cardinals believe so much in the skill set the same way they did in the offseason when they said he was going to be the only guaranteed starter in that outfield, that the Cardinals are holding serve and going to be steadfast in committing to Lars Nupar as an everyday part of their outfield for the next five to 10 years, whatever the case might be. Feels like more of a long shot to me that, anything would have changed on that front because the Cardinals are not always quick to adapt to these sorts of things. If you see a guy like Lars Newpar and you have expectations of one thing and then three seasons in a row might tell you he's another thing, the Cardinals are going to be the last ones to admit that it's different. And I'm not saying that we know for sure that Lars Newpar is lesser than the Cardinals think he is. I'm still a big supporter of Newpar. I've said don't bat him third. I don't think that's a fit for him. I would like a different lineup alignment, but that's, that's kind of small potatoes stuff. That's nitpicky compared to just generally supporting the player and believing that the player is a good one and it's sensible for the Cardinals to have him as a part of their long-term future. But what I thought was interesting is when Derek sort of was alluding to, as we've done, talking about the different controllable position players that could potentially be on the move, he seemed to, at least in this interview, sort of put Tommy Edmond along the other position players like it. Like Jordan Walker is the one that every he's not going anywhere, so don't even ask is where the Cardinals would be on that. I think everybody can can understand why that would be. But Tommy Edmond, I, I think, is interesting. The Cardinals are obviously very high on him, and I have said it would hurt to trade him, but if there's another team that has interest in him, potentially, and you can get the pitching you're looking for, the Cardinals might need to make the type of move that makes them uncomfortable. And I thought, because Tommy Edmond has less years of team control remaining than like a Brendan Donovan, who I think should be integral to what the Cardinals are looking to do moving forward, then it would be interesting if you could get fair value for Edmund if the Cardinals would consider it. The way Derek talked it in, in his reporting maybe doesn't seem like that's the way the Cardinals view it to him, and I'll be very interesting, just interested, I should say, to see the way this ends up playing out for the Cardinals if they do make one of those trades of a position player, 
a controllable position player for pitching, what do other teams covet and what do the Cardinals find themselves willing to trade away? But for me, it was interesting to hear him talk about sort of Brendan Donovan in the same category as Nolan Gorman. Because to me, both of those guys have team control remaining. They have value for obvious reasons, different reasons. Gorman being the raw power from the left side. Donovan being just the overall skill set, defensive versatility, on-base ability. To me, Donovan's the more valuable guy. Donovan's the guy that if I'm the Cardinals, I'm protecting at all costs. But we've also talked about how if it's Brendan Donovan that other teams want, do the Cardinals have to make a difficult decision on that? I personally would be very surprised to see them move Donovan, but I also think Nolan Gorman would be a guy that it would probably make sense to consider what the trade value of him would be out there because of maybe the gaps or the holes in his game and in his swing that you just don't ever know if those are going to be completely filled, if he's going to turn into that complete player that Brendan Donovan kind of already feels like he is. So I was a little bit interested to hear that in the way that he sort of considered or was explaining that the Cardinals consider, because he's just reporting what he knows, that the Cardinals consider Newt Barr along with Edmund to be guys they kind of want to build around and, and keep for the future, but that the Donovan-Gorman thing at second base is interesting. My personal opinion would be the Cardinals should look to shop Gorman more than they should Brendan Donovan, because I think if you had nine Brendan Donovans, you're going to win a lot of baseball games, which is not to say that you couldn't do it with Gormans, but the Gormans of the world are going to slump more and the Cardinals have to decide like what they really believe he is going to turn into and kind of hedge their bets against that, depending how they want to let this play out. If Gorman's got value, I could see that being the guy you move. But then again, left-handed power can be difficult to come by. And so like it is interesting is the word that Derek used, and I think that's correct. It's interesting to see how the Cardinals will handle this. And it's a situation where they've gotten it wrong before when it came to which position player to move away and which guys to hold on to. And so I know that is going to be baked into kind of the angst surrounding these potential decisions. But when we talk about the interview from Fox 2 with John Mozeliak and Martin Kilcoin saying the Cardinals are going to be sellers at the deadline, I just think to bring us full circle, it's hilarious that Yankees fans will see that and say, well, it means Nolan Arenado is available. So go get him. You know, Yankees, go go get Nolan Arenado and you'll have your third base situation completely resolved. I don't think that's what that means at all. I do think it means trade the short-term guys as we talked about with pitching but also have the other notion of there will be position players that end up getting moved, that end up being available to be moved if the Cardinals can fix their pitching, but they're doing it with 2024 in mind. So if you're trading Nolan Arenado, he's in his prime. He's got the best OPS on the team, 850 at this point, I think is the team high based on the guys that play all the time. Goldschmidt is right behind him at like 840 something. And so I feel like those are the guys that, well, yeah, you're going to need those guys for 2024 if that's what you're gearing up to be ready to to commit to competing for. I think that's where the Cardinals and John Mozeliak are. And so I would say your mental health would benefit from not paying attention to these. I won't even call them Arenado rumors because I think it's just people on social media from other teams that saw some dots that they felt like connecting. John Heyman said, well, John Heyman said, well, I, I saw that podcast with, John Mozeliak, where he said that maybe they were going to be selling. So it, it's not what it means. It's a more nuanced situation than that. And Nolan Arenado is not going anywhere at this deadline. If you have a bad 2024 and you get to the trade deadline next year and Paul Goldsmith isn't re-signed or extended by that point, then you get into a territory of now it's two years in a row where the Cardinals have underachieved. Nolan Arenado will be approaching, teetering toward his mid-30s. Does he decide he wants to be in a situation that's better suited to win in the immediate future? 
that could be a conversation then. But I think from just three and a half bad months where everybody sort of in that Cardinals clubhouse seems to say, you know, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but we also don't feel the sky is falling and that we're never going to be able to find it back. It's frustrating, but I think especially when you talk about the team leaders, guys like Arenado and Goldschmidt, I don't think their faith is shaken at this point as to what the Cardinals could be able to do if they just fix a few things. And they won't have to say it out loud, but pitching is the, the thing. That's what you have to fix. And they're not going to throw their teammates under the bus, and they're not going to throw John Bozalak under the bus for not having the pitching that would be necessary to win right now. But that's what it is. And I think if you have an offseason, and by the way, the offseason starts now by trading away some of the expiring contracts so that you can begin to build up the ammunition for having the pitching staff that you want next year. As long as those things happen, I don't think there's any risk of Goldschmidt and Arenado, neither of them, becoming malcontent and looking to find a way out. I just don't think it's realistic. I know that Ken Rosenthal, who's very respected and does a great job, a couple weeks ago was was writing about the need for the Cardinals to go in one of two directions. Either you spend and commit to going for it this offseason with the way that you rebuild the roster in free agency, or you trade away these guys, Goldspin and Arenado, to start a miniature rebuild around the younger talent that would remain. And I have talked about the fact that I don't really think either of those options are necessary. The one that makes the most sense to me is to trade the short-term options, get what you can in terms of talent. Hopefully it's pitching talent, since you're giving up pitching would be nice to get some controllable pitching back. And then you consider what controllable offensive players, what controllable position players do you have that teams would give you a legit pitcher for? I'm not saying it's got to be an ace number one prospect because ace number one prospects sometimes don't turn into aces, but that's where it comes into the Cardinals identifying, evaluating, acquiring a potential young pitcher who's got years of control and you believe you can plug him into your rotation by opening day 2024. That's the parameters for what I would say the Cardinals should be looking for if they're going to trade away somebody off the major league roster that has team control for the next few years remaining. It's a move that would not be buying per se. It would not be selling. It would be reorganizing long-term assets for long-term assets at a different position. And pitching is what the Cardinals need. So I'm dismissing outright the possibility of Arenado being traded before the end of this month. If it happens, we are going to have some crazy B-shaped dailies and some crazy videos on the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. But that's not taking place, so don't worry about it. Arenado's going nowhere. Paul Goldschmidt is going nowhere. I'm confident in that at this deadline as well. Who else is untouchable, though, for the Cardinals? Because there are moves that could be made if they want to get a little bit bold and a little bit creative. And so that's the other thing I kind of want to touch on here tonight. We've talked about Jordan Walker. Untouchable. He's not moving. There's basically nothing that can get him involved in a trade package. John Mozalak on with Barton Kilcoin in the Fox 2 interview that we talked about yesterday on B-Shape Daily said, well, there's nobody that's untouchable. He was asked this question and said, there's always going to be the trade where they say, well, if you give me this and this and this, that I would consider moving a player. But realistically, in, in moves that are actually plausible in reality, Jordan Walker's not going anywhere. I mentioned Arenado and Goldschmidt. Like, Wilson Contreras, I don't think, is tradable at this point, not because the Cardinals are so enamored with him after the first few months of the season, but more because it's just, you know, other teams are not looking to trade for the catcher that the Cardinals just signed. Realistically, he's not going anywhere. You're not going to get an offer that makes sense. He's he's here for a while. At the catcher position, I don't think Ivan Herrera is untradable. I think he could move. Andrew Kisner, I don't think, has as much value 
which is why it would maybe make more sense to move Herrera unless you really believe that Herrera could be the next starting catcher of this team. But if you believe that, why did you sign Wilson Contreras? That would be not a move that you would make if you really were high on Herrera. So to me, it would make sense to say the Cardinals would, would float him out there to teams that value what he's done and, and the prospect status that he's had. Do I expect him to be traded? I don't because I don't know that the Cardinals are so certain that they weren't wrong about him. Because like I said, I think they dismissed him in the offseason as a possibility based on the bad 2022 that he had. And they did so and signed Wilson Contreras as a result. I don't know if the Cardinals are ready to have to have egg on their face about another player that they let get away. So I don't know if they'll trade Herrera. But to me, if he's got value, I wouldn't be afraid to do it because I like Andrew Kisner and think he could be a perfectly suitable tandem with Wilson Contreras for the next few seasons. I don't have a problem with that. Although Kiz will get into arbitration, and then you got to talk about paying a backup catcher versus Herrera might have more upside offensively. So I, I, I'm not saying the right thing to do would be to unload Yvonne Herrera, but I could see if other teams value him that it might make sense with the way the Cardinals decided to be constructed because it was their choice to sign Wilson Contreras and not wait and see what Herrera could do. It might make sense to include him in those deals if he's got value. But otherwise, is anybody untouchable, untradeable, unmovable from the Major League roster? Outfielders, Jordan Walker, untouchable. Lars Newtbar, I think the Cardinals might see him as untouchable, even though, like we said, I could see some wiggle room if you were going to take a value proposition if everybody around the league or even one team around the league thought he was somebody that could... I mean, they would give up a legit potential future ace for him. I'd have to think about that. But the Cardinals like him. I like him. So I, I think he's probably a guy that doesn't move. I won't say he's unmovable, but I would be surprised to see it. I think left field, center field, right field, he can do a little bit of everything. He's above average in almost every area of the game. He just honestly needs to find the power back. I always find it a really difficult proposition to say, hey, if this guy could just hit more home runs, boy, howdy. But that's kind of how I feel with Lars Newbar because he's still doing everything else pretty well. But the power has sort of left his game this year, and the slugging percentage is a lot less than it had been. And it's just, it's not even, he's still hitting doubles. He just has not homered very often. So if he runs into a few more, I think his numbers suddenly look like the guy that you hoped he would be, and everything's fine. So I don't think they trade him. Dylan Carlson, you know, he's not untouchable. I don't know how likely he is to move. We did this conversation earlier in the week on the big show, and I may post this to the YouTube channel Friday afternoon, give you guys something else to add to YouTube before uh, the games begin again Friday night. But Dylan got one of my higher ratings in terms of tradability of the group of controllable position players just because if somebody out there really likes him and likes the potential of his, you know, he was a top prospect and he's had some good major league seasons and good moments. And I think he can play anywhere in the outfield successfully, be an above-average defender. So, And he's somewhat cost-controlled for several more years. So I think there's a lot of appeal there. I don't know exactly what team is clamoring to sign him, though, because he's not a big bat-first type of outfielder. So I'll be curious to see if they make a move, what it ends up being for. I prefer Dylan to stay. People that listen to my stuff on the YouTube channel, on B-Shape Daily, know that I am a fan of the hashtag Everyday Dylan Philosophy, play him in center field every single day. I don't know if the Cardinals are as high on him to where they would be as protective of him in a trade scenario as they would have been about a year ago at this time. So we're talking untouchables. Dylan's name is not untouchable. 
Tyler O'Neill, certainly not untouchable. I think his value might be too low to have it even be worthwhile at this point. If you can't get anything of substance for him, we know the raw upside is there. And so you you roll into an offseason where he's hopefully health, healthy and see if he can do it one more time next year. But you don't bestow the center field job upon him going into 2024. If he's still on the team, you have to be a little more realistic with how you approach it. But if he's got no value, don't trade him. Don't just dump a guy to dump a guy because if there's anybody that the Cardinals could regret trading away if they truly get next to nothing for him, it's Tyler O'Neill because he's absolutely got upside. It just hasn't worked out this year. I don't think he's a terrible player. I think he's been in a bad spot. He hasn't been able to get healthy. That doesn't mean you can't bring him back, have him have a few good months, and trade him next July if you really wanted to as a rental in that situation. So not untouchable by any means uh, when it comes to Tyler O'Neill. Tommy Edmond, like I said, uh, the the Foul Territory uh, podcast, or is it Fair Territory? Which one is it? Foul Territory, the hit that Derek Gould did on that podcast recently, he talks about Tommy Edmond in the same category as Lars Newpar. I don't know if I completely believe that, but I, I definitely believe that the Cardinals are protective of him because they really like him. I could just see a world in which it would make sense to move him if you're trying to upgrade pitching and, and you get a taker. I'm not in favor specifically in a vacuum of just moving Tommy Edmond to say that you did. No, I think he's a good player, and he, he should be the type of guy the Cardinals want to build around because he's got versatility. He's a gamer. He's got an offensive skill set that I think is really good. He should probably stop switch hitting, but I don't know if that's going to happen necessarily. But he's a really good player, and he's under team control for a little while longer, and I'm not looking to see the Cardinals get rid of him just to say that they did. But is he untouchable? I think that would be a little hard to believe because, again, they've got to consider – bold moves and bold moves to upgrade the pitching and it takes talent to get talent. Tommy Edmond is a talent. And so I can't imagine a world in which John Mozalak is going to have the luxury of being able to clutch tightly all five or six of these young position players on the roster that have control attached to their names. I think you've got to have some leniency in some regard. We'll see if they do any with uh, Tommy Edmond. Brennan Donovan, as we kind of transition a little bit into infield territory, Donovan and Edmond could both play infield and outfield. But I, I don't I think Brendan Donovan should be untouchable. I would have thought for sure that he would be, just based on the skill set that he has, the way the Cardinals have thought of him in the past. But I guess it's in the same category for me as Lars Newpar, the way I would look at it. And I would even maybe be more protective of Donovan than Newpar. But the Cardinals, I think, really like Newpar. I don't know if Donovan is quite on that tier for them. I think he should be. I think he's everything that they should want in a baseball player a winning player, plenty of team control remaining. He should be untouchable to me. I don't know if he will be. Nolan Gorman, I don't think is untouchable, nor do I believe that he should be. But you can't just trade him on the downswing and not be able to sell the promise of what he could bring to another team. If you're the Cardinals and you're trading Nolan Gorman right now, you have to recognize and acknowledge what you could potentially be losing out on with him if he reaches his full potential. You've got a percentage in mind of what the likelihood is that he'd actually do that eventually and not kind of revert back to the streaky hitter where he'll go through spells where he can carry you, and then he'll go through spells where you almost can't afford to have him in the lineup. That's kind of where the Cardinals have been more recently with him, but they're they're playing him through it, which I think is an understandable move, especially for a team in a lost season, right? So I just think there's value there to be had and dissected and, and considered. But again, it takes talent to get talent. And so is Gorman a guy that's more easily replaceable within the lineup because you could just put Brendan Donovan back 
and have him be the everyday second baseman, open up some DH spots for Jordan Walker if ultimately he needs time there, which the hope is you play him in the corner outfield the rest of the season. He gets better at it because he's still new to the position. And then by 2024, he's not a liability in the outfield. That would be the hope. And you can play him every day there this year because they're not going anywhere anyway. So if he makes 25 errors, it is what it is. At least you're learning and getting him those reps because, again, he's only played outfield for 11 and a half months of his life. So it's not entirely his fault that he's not good at it yet. But when it comes to Gorman, I everybody that listened to this podcast in the beginning of the season knows that my bold prediction was that he'd be an all-star. I was very high on him out of spring training. It was looking like a, a pretty savvy opinion there for a while, and he just kind of has hit that wall. Does he come out of it, and how consistently can you see the power manifest? Because if it comes often enough, and he's only a 240 hitter, but he draws a bunch of walks because people don't want to throw him strikes in the zone, and so his on-base percentage is high, and he hits 35 to 40 home runs because he just runs into him and does that with more consistency than he's been. Like, he's got 17 bombs this year, I think, so he's on pace for hitting 30 at least. I just don't know how realistic it is to see him fulfill that, take that next step, and maybe raise the the OPS a little bit beyond the 770 range it's in right now. He's got to be an 800-plus guy if he's going to be worth hanging around to as a potential cornerstone because defensively, although I like how he's improved at second, he's not an, a he's not a great second baseman. He's not as good at second base as Donovan or Edmund would be if your roster shakes out to need those guys in those spots. So I think Nolan Gorman's interesting. But if the rest of the league says, nah, we don't really believe that he's going to be very good. He's just so streaky and we just don't want to invest in that. The Cardinals don't have to just dump him because I think the Cardinals have a high level of belief in him as well. It's just about how does the league value the talent the Cardinals have and which guys would St. Louis be willing to part with. But is he untouchable? No, I don't think he should be considered untouchable. DeYoung, not untouchable. Guys like Burleson, Yepes, certainly not untouchable, I think should be included in trades as uh, sort of sweeteners if it ends up helping get a deal done and teams are looking for some extra pop. I think either of those guys could be able to turn into really good major league hitters, but they're going to need the chance to do it. And I don't think they'll have a full opportunity to blossom in St. Louis just based on the way things are breaking down. And then who else is there to talk about? Mason Wynn is untouchable. I don't think you trade Mason Wynn for anything, really. There's just no reason that you would. Uh, You're not desperate to add win now players. So I, I just don't see a scenario where you'd trade for him or trade him away when he's on the cusp of potentially joining you pretty soon. Pitching-wise, I don't really think there's anybody in the way of prospects untouchable other than maybe Tink Hentz because I don't think there's a pitcher that is out there on this market at this deadline that is controllable that I would trade Tink Hentz to get. I mean, Dylan Cease maybe, but it would have to be somebody like that to even entertain the idea because Tink Hentz could be a really big-time name in, in a rotation within the next 18 months. So I don't necessarily think you know, you can't think in terms of buying the stars that can get you to win right now. You do want to win in 2024, but Tinkens is really the one, like, legit upside power arm prospect that they've got. Graceffo, perhaps, but hence, I think, has the highest upside of all of their pitching prospects. And so he's about as close to untouchable as it gets. But is there a, a world where I'd move a Graceffo or a McGreevy or somebody like that to? If you're landing an ace, yeah, I would. I really happen to like Michael McGreevy. I know a lot of Cardinals fans that uh, pay attention to kind of the, the underlying numbers and they don't like his Ks per nine, which, yeah, he doesn't have a great Ks per nine. I think he's a good pitcher. I think he's going to figure it out and get better and adapt to what the game needs him to do to be successful. I, I believe in Michael McGreevy. It's okay if you don't. Time will tell on on that one. But, yeah, I mean, I think there are 
guys that if you're getting an answer at pitching that you really feel good about, a lot of those guys would, would have to be at least considered if other teams are interested. Tinkens is the one that I'm thinking, eh, maybe not. Mason Wynn, uh, certainly not. But beyond that, like I said, there's only a handful of guys maybe that I'm really saying should be completely untouchable for the Cardinals at this deadline if in the right deal. In the right deal, a lot a lot of eyes could be opened, a lot could be considered. But let me know what you think in the comment section below on the YouTube channel. Brendan Schaefer, St. Louis Cardinals writer. We're doing uh, Cardinals content on a daily basis, so glad to have you here. We'd love to have you subscribe if you've enjoyed this episode. And uh, you can follow the audio-only version of B-Shape Daily on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Rate and review over there. I would really appreciate that. But that is going to do it for this edition of the show. Thank you so much for spending some time with me listening to the content here. And we'll talk to you next time on B-Shape Daily. Peace.